Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and this podcast is ranked in the top 2.5% of the most popular podcasts globally, and it's all because of my incredible guests, and I am honored and blessed to share time with people who are at the top of their game and who are absolutely willing to help you get to where you want to be in life and in business, and these are not people who hold back. Their goal is to share with you, our audience, the essence of peak performance, and today I welcome Thomas Drucker and Marcy Rogers, who will share with us how we can learn to love through our work. And I had to stop and think about that, to be honest. So founder and president of Consultants in Corporate Innovation, Tom Drucker, is a recognized expert in leadership development and successful large-scale organizational changes. His mission is to remove fear from all workplaces, as well as to assist people find passion purpose and meaning in their work, and he was asked by Inc. Inc. Magazine to go on a speaking tour to promote finding joy at work, and the title of his talk, Work Need Not Be a Nasty Four-Letter Word. I love that. Tom is also known for helping families and privately held companies grow and then sell. He mentioned Farmer John's, I love their popcorn, as well as coaching startups grow into sustainable companies. And President and CEO of Spinemark Corp, Marcy Rogers, Marcy T. Rogers, is an entrepreneur with considerable experience in the design, implementation, and development of niche programs for surgical, (laughs) I can do this, subspecialties. And peers and professional colleagues alike agree that Marcy is a key opinion leader in specialty fields such as spine, orthopedic surgery, neurosurgery, interventional pain, and plastic surgery. She has also been a guest here, so be sure to look for that show, which is titled Patient Advocacy, where we discuss the epidemic of concussions. That was a fascinating show. Tom and Marcy, welcome to your partner in Success Radio. It's good to have you here. Thanks very much. Thanks for that kind introduction. Yeah, wonderful introduction to me. (laughs) I have to tell you, I had to really sort through everything y'all have done so I could make it work without going on and on and on. You two are some pretty impressive people. Thank well, you. thank you. Okay, so let's start with Tom, if you don't mind. Tom, you're, what is, I mean, I think I understand after talking with both y'all, but what do you mean by learning to love in our work. What does that mean exactly? I mean, I thought I understood it, and then I listened to you when we had our pre-interview and realized I didn't understand it at all. So let's dive into that, if you don't mind. Sure, I'd love to. No pun intended. Um, Let's talk about the three primary aspects of loving your work. Uh, First of all, needing to have satisfying relationships with the people that you work with. And that means being open to... um, kind of thinking about yourself and thinking about your self-awareness and what other people need and want using your empathy and compassion. Number two, 
loving your work means working together with other people in a way that is sometimes called being in a state of flow where you have this wonderful surge of energy, you're having fun, and you do the work you do without really thinking too much about it. You're kind of in a groove. Uh, this has been studied for decades. It's called a state of FLOW. And it's a really um, wonderful way to experience work. And you can do that on your own or, or with others. And the third thing is to really discover what gives your work meaning and purpose. And how do you, as a person, relate to the direction and the purpose of your uh, organization, the one that is um, employing you. So if those are in alignment, if you have a sense of connection with the purpose of the organization you work with, if you have a way of collaborating that is fun, and if you have self-awareness uh, in a way that gives you an ability to understand other people and what they're experiencing, and also understand your own feelings, and watch what comes out of your mouth, because we can all edit ourselves, and sometimes that's necessary. I hope that's a clear kind of overall summary of what it means to really have fun and joy while doing very meticulous things. We're not talking about easy work here. We're talking about very meticulous, high-quality work. No, I completely understand it. And even though I work from home, my office is in my home, I don't have anybody around me ever. I have a team, but they're, you know, they're all remote. And I have found that for me sometimes just here by myself getting into flow can be a bit tricky. But then, and I'm I've been listening to what you're saying, I connect with my team. I see what they're doing. I ask for their advice, believe it or not. I may be the boss, if, and that's not even the correct term. They're, they're my team. But I find that they will often have some terrific ideas or a new way of doing something that just escaped me. So I can often – are you okay? You're making a lot of noise there. Tom, are you okay? Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. I wasn't sure if it was me or if it was um, something going on on your end. But I find that if I will connect with other people when I'm really struggling with focus and I'm really struggling with what you call flow, it's helpful. So thank you for that advice. Yeah, connecting with other people is really, really a core uh, principle of uh, being kind of an authentic person, I think, isn't it? It really is. So, Marcy, what do you have to say on this topic? Can you chime in? Oh, sure. I mean, that's been the problem over the last couple of years, I think, for all of us in the world, is that we somehow or another, because of this crazy pandemic, we lost the connection to so many people and things and activities that we had, you know, resonated with, uh, that we thrived on. Uh, but but uh, what has always been my saving grace in life uh, through highs and lows has been my work. My work has sustained me. It has given me joy and connection with people that I would have never even known and connection with um, things that I found in myself I needed to do and got the strength to do them. 
So I support Tom in that premise 100%. Well, and the pandemic did a lot of things to a lot of people. Some people survived and thrived. Other people just went, oh, my God, and they just kind of sunk in their own shoes for a while, but then picked back up. It was, it's a very difficult time to look back on, and in some cases it's still going on. But I think this is just me thinking out loud. I think people tended to lose track of the really important people that they should be in touch with because they were so busy. And I hate this word. We heard it a lot during the pandemic was pivot. Everybody had to pivot. And I can't stand that word. It was way overused. But they were so busy trying to figure out new ways to connect. You know, Zoom became, Zoom fatigue became a very real thing. And all of a sudden you weren't calling your mom or, you know, you weren't, you know, having lunch with friends because obviously you couldn't. And, Things got a little bit touch and go there for quite a long time, and it it's time to pick up. You know, if you lost friends or you lost connections, pick up that phone. Which is a good point. The phone calls, actual voice-to-voice, what we're doing now, is so much more um, human than, you know, a text or an email. So um, people have kind of, I think, diminished the use of just the telephone. What do you think? Oh, I agree with you. Listen, the the telephone to me is my most important tool. I mean, texting is fine, email is fine, but you can't nuance either of those. And you're more likely than not to hurt somebody's feelings or tick them off. Pick up the phone. I learned from Bill Gates maybe 25 years ago in an article he wrote that email and texts are cool mediums. They're good for facts. But if you want to infuse your emotions and you want to understand the other person, it really isn't appropriate, those two mediums. What's appropriate is on Zoom now or a phone call, something that really puts you in a physical sense connected to those other people. And we did get away from that. There's no question about it. But are you finding, Tom and Marcy, that people are saying, well, it's worked. Why do I have to go back to making phone calls? Sometimes I think people feel that that is very salesy, which it it doesn't have to be. Pick up the phone. I have a friend of mine who is, his name is Jim Tunney. He's the dean of NFL referees, and he's in his 90s. He's been, you know, uh, he's an amazing, amazing man. He picks up the phone and calls me, or I pick up the phone and call him every single day. Might be a two-minute conversation, might just be a check-in. It may be nothing much, but we do it every day. And if I don't hear from him on a Saturday or a Sunday, my stomach hurts. I'm like, "Are you okay? Where are you? What's going on?" So I pick up the phone and call him. You know, those connections are so important. I think, yep. to our mental and emotional well-being. Absolutely. I have an older brother and I, sorry, I have an older brother and I do the same thing. We talk every day, sometimes twice a day. He lives far away in Arizona. I live in Los Angeles. And we've seen each other a few times over the pandemic. But, you know, everyday connection is just critical for both of us. It really, it really is. My mother passed away three years ago yesterday. Sorry. Thank you. And and it's just every day I 
still, it's been three years, I still pick up the phone because we would talk about politics. We were talking about our other family. We would share recipes. If you could think of it, we were talking about it. To this day, I still go, oh, I need to call my Oh, geez, I can't call my mom. Those days are going to leave, and you're going to be sorry. So, again, I'm going to stress, pick up that darn phone. And FaceTime's fun, too. No, I haven't done that. Yeah, I don't do that at all. Yeah, so yeah. We, my brother and I use it sometimes. You can see each other. That's all. It's on a you know smartphone. Gotcha. But the the thing I wanted to underscore, and I I just uh, think it's so important for uh, people at work. The number one reason people leave their jobs is a bad relationship with their supervisor. Uh, that's like statistically proven for years and in order to have a good relationship with anybody even if that person is a little let's say edgy sometimes is learning to be curious about your own mind and how you think and how you feel and how you behave because it's our self-talk that generates what comes out of our mouth the way we talk to ourselves impacts how we interact with other people and the more curiosity one can bring to those inner dialogues, the more agency or effectiveness an individual has in crafting the kind of relationships through self-disclosure and through asking for feedback. Not a lot of people necessarily ask for feedback and are given candid uh, feedback. What do you think about that, Marcy, in your experience? Well, I, I think that... Um Asking for feedback is not the norm, that's for sure. Um, and sometimes when you ask for feedback, you get some surprises, some of them good and some of them bad. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think that but be, being open enough to ask for feedback, in my experience, has been healing, strengthening, uh, because while you may not know what you're going to get, you, you do get feedback back, and that in and of itself uh, is key. So, you know, I'm with you on that, Tom. I, I think that, you know, being open and communicating, not only all the great things that happen to you in a day, but asking for feedback and not knowing what you're going to get back is strengthening. Right. One of the most uh, important questions I found as a leader when I led a global organization at the Xerox Corporation, um, was asking, how can my leadership help you do a better job? And is there anything I'm doing that's getting in the way? It's a very um, edgy question. And you have uh, the responsibility of creating enough trust with the people you ask so they will actually feel safe telling you what they think and feel. And you can't get touchy about it. I took place. I took part in a, a roundtable discussion last week for elite podcasters, and one of the things that I was told had me going, well, crud, monkey. I actually said something different, but you know what? He was absolutely right, and I spent the weekend going, hmm. First of all, I didn't know that. Second of all, I better fix that. So I didn't get all shook up. I didn't get upset. I was a bit shocked and taken aback. But he was right. 
and I didn't know it. You don't know what you don't know. So, exactly. yeah, asking those questions is so important. So I'm curious, what are you going to do differently now? Well, my audio is going to change. You know, how I, I present the audio portion of my my podcast is definitely going. I have to up my game there. There's no question. Great. Thanks. Thanks for the answer. Sure. I mean, I I was taken aback and I went, ow, oh. <laughs> so the, those are my two immediate responses and, you know, I couldn't argue <laughs> with it. Well, you know, that's human. Uh, the first thing we do when we hear something that's not in keeping with our own self-image is we get a little, you know, it's a little sting or a little whoops. And the secret isn't that you get that whoops. The secret is how quickly you recover and how great the recovery is. What you're learning, I find to be the single most important thing. Sometimes workers and adults forget to learn. They just forget that, you know, our commitment to ourselves and our own uh, self-esteem and pride in what we do and who we are, first of all, has to start with our uh, ability to take in information from others that may not jibe necessarily with how we've thought about ourselves. And and your example uh, is a good one, the feedback you got. Well, I I really appreciated him saying that because, and, you know, he wasn't trying to hurt my feelings or hold no, back. This group of people was trying to help one another. And you right. can't help one another if you think somebody's going to cry. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. <laughs> but Marcy, Marcy has heard me say this before, and you said something really important a few minutes ago about how we, you know, the things that will come out of our mouth are things that we're thinking about ourselves. And I, I'm paraphrasing. But I have said many times before, if anybody spoke to me the way I speak to myself, I'd need bail money. Seriously. <laughs> it would get ugly real quick. <laughs> I love your sense of humor. And, and we're all that Actually, way. That was By true. the way, that's human. I wasn't joking. <laughs> I believe it. And, you know, that that's true for all of us. That's why this whole uh, concept of being self-aware is just learning and, and being open to being curious so that you're constantly enhancing the content of your self-awareness. You're learning from your experiences on a daily basis or a conversation-by-conversation basis. And if you're that um, willing to uh, allow yourself to be agile as you think about how you're learning about people, about yourself, about the work, about your family. You're in a better position than if you uh, kind of be a a closed-minded person and only think what you've thought. One of my friends calls what you're describing curious conversations. Yeah. And they don't need to be with other people all the time. They also need to be with yourself. Bingo. Because, again, right. we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. Marcy, were you going to say something about that? No, I, I just I said yes. I, I absolutely think the, the self-talk is important because sometimes, um, you know, you've got, to, you've got to get through the self-talk before you can really – 
you know, stabilize it and rationalize it and use it with other people. So I'm I'm a big advocate of that because I believe that we we live in a world that we constantly need to reinvent ourselves in. And uh, in doing so, you've got to look at the good, the bad, and, and the not so good. So I, I think it's a great point. Well, let me let ask me tell you, you this. Oh, go, go ahead, Tom, and then I'll, you know, I'll ask you both in the, when you're done. What well, do you do when quick. you know? Okay, keep go going. Ahead. What do you do sorry. if you don't? <laughs> we well, won't talk over each other. Yeah, sorry about that. I, I'm all excited to talk with both of you. I wanted to ask each of you in, in turn how you have these curious conversations with you. Do you have any kind of set or rote point that you do? Do you wake up in the morning and say, okay, this is what I'm going to learn today? We'll talk about that, but Tom, you go ahead. Uh, no, I don't think we're that intentional all the time unless we know we're going to talk to someone, you know, have an important conversation. Um, I think, you know, most of us, it's normal just to, be ourselves and, and walk through our day, um, you know, paying attention to what we're doing, but not necessarily pre-planning everything. Uh, what I do think, and probably this is a good example of what I was going to share is a short case study. I was asked by the CEO to coach two of his senior people, uh, Joe and Martin, and these are, uh, it's a tech company, and these are very smart uh, computer engineers who now uh, had responsibility for overseeing about 80% of the company. And they had been fighting for five years. They had been in conflict for five years, ever since one of them, uh, since Martin came. And um, so the CEO said, you know, I don't want him to leave. What can you do? I said, well, let me talk to him. And what I found is these are two very committed people who had developed a habit of disagreeing with each other, and a habit because one felt the other wasn't quite so experienced in areas that quote, he thought he should be, and vice versa. So there were these walls built up, and they had what are called ritualistic fights. You know, the topic could be different, but the pattern was the same. And what I did was really what we're talking about. I invited them to be curious, to change their self-talk, to find things they appreciated about the other person's work and who they were in terms of their character and what they were committed to in terms of helping the company grow. And once we work through that individually, then we work through it together. And they really did uh, change. Uh, their habits were much more conscious so they could break them. Their conversations were much more intentional so they could be, again, working out whatever differences there were. And the two organizations had a lot of differences because one was in charge of serving the customer and the other was in charge of making, uh, let's say, high-quality software, and sometimes the, um, you know, objectives got cross-purposes uh, cross with each other. But that's typical in those kinds of organizations, and so the leadership had an obligation to be helpful and supportive of being clever about problem-solving. And once they began to learn that habit, everything was fine. So it's just a little bit of a real-life experience of how learning is the pathway to a whole new way of being at work. And now these two guys are really loving what they do. Sounds like a really bad marriage. Well, yeah. And I started my life as a clinical psychologist, my professional life. So, uh, yeah, I did a lot of <laughs> family counseling. 
and hopefully saved a lot of relationships. Um, and again, it's about being open to learning. It's about being open to growing yourself and being compassionate and forgiving of other people and be grateful for the positives in the relationship and focus on that and the issues that are inevitable can be resolved in that context of active mutual support. It's astonishing to me that they spent five years in this ritual ritualistic, I think you said, behavior yeah. without even recognizing it, which is perfectly rational. We don't know what we're doing. We just know that somebody, you know, makes us just want to kick a wall and, you know, we just go <laughs> yeah. with it or kick a tire, or kick something. But now now that they've had time to work through it and we're willing to work through it, I have to wonder if they're really kind of ashamed of how they behaved in the past, or did they just learn and grow and keep on going? Yeah, they learned and grew uh, because, you know, the past is the past. We can't really change it. We can change our interpretation of it. We can learn from it, but you don't want to be held hostage by the past. You want to focus on the future and what you want to create together. Because being creative, if you look at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you inquire into self-actualization, our DNA is wired to keep us learning and growing forever. Our DNA wants, the, the human body wants to learn and wants also to be of service to others. Again, that's part of how human beings are wired when we're able to get our lower order needs met um, and, of course, the pandemic, as we were saying earlier, has just made everyone come down to the base of the what Maslow called lower order needs of uh, survival and safety and security. Because I know for myself and my wife, we were absolutely at that uh, place in the beginning of the pandemic. You know, I was spraying everything. <laughs> and... Um, you know, it's just human nature to be scared when there's actually something to be scared about. Absolutely. And then watching us grow over this time, and now we're, uh, you know, emerging. And we have a number of new rules in our new world. One of them is using Zoom to be connected, do work, and be productive. And that's, you know, what we were talking about earlier is now the new normal, Right. Right. That's a, another term I don't understand. There's never everything is always in flux. It's always in flow. It's always in change. I don't think in my world I know things do not remain the same from day to day. Some things might, you know, but I'm I wake up every day and I'm looking for something that is going to grab my attention and help me learn something new. You can't just stay where you were yesterday. So true. So true. And it's rare that the world goes through such an experience collectively like the pandemic was and still is. And so I think what I've learned is what happens when everyone is in a mode of safety, survival, and security, and then how do workers and, and leadership positions, how do they go about making sure the people who work with them and for them feel safe and secure. And, of course, there are the obvious things you can do about hand sanitation and, you know, social distancing, but really you have to ask people how they feel. 
and what they need in order to feel safe and secure. That's that's why I think the earlier discussion was so important because we are going through a huge state change and now we're restabilizing. And you're right, you learn something every day in our world because and you're in the perfect job <laughs> because you are this fabulous podcast hoster and you get to learn every day from people that you respect and admire and I, I think that's a great part of your job. I applaud that. Bravo. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I do it deliberately as a committed, highly committed introvert. I'm rarely around other people. In fact, Marcy knows this about me. I'm only good around people for 59 and three-quarter minutes. After that, I've got to go. <laughs> I must go now. <laughs> you will see with me. My keys are in my hand. I'm waving goodbye. I'm out of there. But that doesn't mean I'm not passionately interested in the world around me, what's going on with other people, who I can learn from, who can be my mentors, who can coach me, who I can mentor and coach. I mean, life is good. Life is very, very good. That's great. So, it's, Marcy, uh, go ahead, Tom. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say it's nice to hear someone so exuberant about work. You're the poster woman for what we're talking about today. Oh, I love comes what I to do. really love and feel very uh, grateful about the work that they do. Well, and gratitude is a big, big part of it. And Marcy, I think I mentioned this earlier. You have been here on this show. I think it was about a year ago. But how are you coping with all of the changes now you're coming out of the pandemic? Because I know your businesses are physical. I mean, you, you know, you're always around people. How have things changed for you in terms of how you're you're committing to being around people, how you're committing to being in your offices, you know, how people are reacting now that they're starting to get past that god-awful fear that was populating the world for so long? Well, I, I I don't know that the fear is gone, but I but what I do see a lot of, more so than ever in my life, is a lot of anger. To me, um, people are just angry about the littlest thing, but I think it gives them an opportunity to vent, which maybe is part of the healing from all of this. Um, but uh, it's it's definitely a different world than it was in uh, December 31st, 2019. Um, And I think we're all coming to terms with that. My, my, and and Denise, you know me, so my solution in the face of everything that happened, being, you know, lost, you know, told to have to stay at home and, you know, not wear a mask all the time and do all of this, has been to try and look for ways that I can reinvent to some extent what I've been doing without risking um, uh, the possibility of getting very sick uh, without, at that point in the early stages of the pandemic, people were dying all, much more so than now. Um, but, but I think that the message here is that in the face of all of this and to deal with fear, you have to reinvent yourself. You have to look for ways to get everything done that you were doing before, but in a, in, in a modified manner to fit what's going on at the time. Um, and you certainly, um, 
you can't give up and you have to be you have to be open to reinventing and 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 doing things that are perhaps very different from what you were doing i mean i was on a plane every day every other day every week for sure all over the country all over the world i haven't flown since march 7 2020 and uh, you know because uh, you know it, it just was very frightening and and um, unstable for so many people, and there's so much anger in the people that are on the planes. It's just so I'm looking forward for my own um, self awareness is to get back on that plane and start being out there. Uh, I like Zoom, but Zoom is not like being in person in front of talking to a human being. For me. No, you can't pick up people's energy when you're doing that. And that's a big concern of mine. You know, people have Zoom fatigue. I've mentioned that. but And you can pick up nuances because you can, you know, watch people's faces if you're so inclined. I choose to just listen. I don't like to be distracted by somebody, you know, chewing the side of their their mouth or, you know, whatever. I get distracted by, by facial, you know, tics, if you will. But... It's different when you're live and in person. And listen, as an introvert, I'm not often live and in person with other people. But when I am, and often it's going to be in the grocery store, to be honest, I enjoy it. And I don't know what this is all about. I I still don't understand this. When I go out, I'm in a baseball cap, giant Ray-Ban glasses. I don't want anybody talking to me, and everybody wants to talk to me. I don't get it, but they always do. It is where the deep south. You can't avoid it. And, I, you know, I go in. I'm one of those people. I know what's on what aisle. I've got my list. I'm going in. I'm going out. Never happens. Never happens. But I go away and go, oh, that was fun. You know, I got to talk with somebody who is – you know, 89 years old, and she's a Cajun woman, and she told me some great stories. I'll never see her again, but that was fun. So it's it's energizing to be around other people when you can. Well, and it's a Go great ahead, story because I have to tell you, one of the things that I did to maintain my sense of connection is I went to the Jimbo's, my the grocery store I go to all the time, probably every day, not so much because I needed something from the store, but more because I needed the human interaction. Exactly. That's exactly right. So, Marcy, when, what are you noticing, and you said something really important, you know, that people are so angry. Listen, I don't watch the news. I don't read the news. I'm very choosy about what news I'm, you know, allow to come into my psyche, if you will. But people are ticked, and they're nasty, and they're keyboard warriors. And I I wish they'd stop. Just take a breath, lift your hand from the keyboard, and just think about what you're about to put out there into the world. Because here's the thing, y'all. Once it's out there on the Internet, it's permanent. Stop being an ass is my point. (laughs) Would that your words would transform our population. No kidding. I thought that was pretty smart, too. But are you but I do. I, go, ahead. go ahead. Oh, I just said yeah. I, I had a piece of good news that I wanted to make sure we shared with our listeners. 
because we talk about you know discovering work that you love and new research by a fellow named Marcus Buckingham reported in the Harvard Business Review and in a book he wrote states that if you identify as little as 20% of the work that you do that you love you will have major benefits so it's not like you have to love all your work as I said earlier just 20% or more and you'll perform cognitive tasks faster and better you'll be more optimistic more loyal more forgiving and also, as we've been talking about, open to new ideas. And you'll spend much more time in that state of flow that we were talking about, which means that you can kind of just naturally use your expertise and your emotionally intelligent skills to really have that sense of joy when you're doing certain activities. And further, the research showed that if you can, and you do that work early in your day, then you get the benefits of that for the entire day and when you go home at night because you've had that energizing kind of day. So I thought that would be useful research because, as a friend of mine says, ideas without data are just opinions. So I try to anchor all of my work in actual peer-reviewed published science and research. So I want to share that with everyone. Yeah, and thank you for doing that because I've heard you say that you need to ID or identify what kind of work you love and the why. And I think the why is probably more important than anything. Why do you have a podcast? Why does Marcy do the work she does? Why do you do the work you do? Listen, my podcast is not a moneymaker. Never has been, never will be. But I love it. I get to meet people from all over the world with different opinions about everything. I learn something new every single time listen if i get off a podcast and i didn't learn at least two things that were brand spanking new to me that was a failure for me i can identify with that i learned from every client interaction something about them something about me uh, and i'm intentional about kind of as i said being curious and grateful that I have conversations with passionate leaders and their teams. It's uh, it's a privilege to do that work. And then what I'm asked to, as I mentioned in that case study uh, with uh, Martin and Joe, when you get to re, well, when you get to help them reclaim what really is what they want. You know, no one wants to get up in the morning and say, "I'm really looking forward to fighting with Sam or Sally." No. We just, you know, people wake up in the morning and wanting to do the best they can, don't they? Yes. And, you know, you wake up in the morning, and I had to teach myself this because I'm one of those people that I don't sleep all night. I cat nap, actually. And I would wake up for the final time in the morning, and my mom said, the devil would say, oh, crap, she's awake. Because I was. I would hit I love my mom, but I would hit the floor running and not do any real introspection, which did not serve me well. So over, you know, the the course of this podcast, I learned from people. And one of my guests years ago, he had a terrible, terrible disease and he was going to die. And he knew everybody said he was going to die. It was years ago. He's fine. But you know how he cured himself? With massive gratitude massive gratitude every morning he would wake up and just express out loud 
or maybe that's me that does that out loud. Because as far as I'm concerned, if I'm speaking out loud, the universe can hear me. If it's in my head, it's in there with my squirrel brain, and God knows what's going to come out. So I seriously, so I had to train myself to stay in bed, not hit that floor run, and not you know feed the cats, run to my office. I have a terrible commute. It's about 30 seconds if I'm running. And I don't get upset by a cat. <laughs> but, but I would train myself to express my gratitude, to look at my day, my upcoming day, and kind of pull those strings and find out what was important, where I needed to be, how I could help others. It's a huge change for me, but I don't get out of bed now without doing that. So I identify, I do exactly what you're saying. I identify what my work is for that day, why I'm doing that work, and what I'm already loving about it, or what I intend to love about it. That's super. You're right on the money, as they say. I'll tell you something that um, is kind of personal, but it's right in line with what you're doing. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 40-plus years, just uh, had our 40th anniversary. Congratulations. And even before, thank you. And even before we were married, we uh, decided that we would do this morning affirmation, and it begins with um, intending what we're going to do in the day, not so much the task, but our attitude, as you just indicated. And then we actually presence gratitude out loud, and we uh, are expressing what we're grateful for, our health, our lives, our friends. We pray for people that are ill that we know. And uh, that's sort of the major part of it. This can take from, you know, five to ten minutes. And then at the end we say, what can I do to make you happy today? And it isn't like a to-do list, like take out the garbage. or It's really what mood and mindset do you wish your, uh, in this case, the love of my life, um, what she wants for herself and what I can do to make that happen. I love and that's that. something that is really important in our lives and our relationship. And Thanks. you've done this all of these years? Yeah, even before we were married. That's amazing. But setting intentions is so important. And, you know, people say, oh, I don't want to talk to myself. Are you kidding? We always talk to ourselves. Yeah. But as I said earlier, I say it out loud. If I'm setting intentions or I'm setting a goal or I'm just having a stern talk with myself, which happens, I do it out loud. I have to because otherwise I, I've learned that you can't be thinking a hundred different things if you're actually speaking. So speaking kind of settles your neurons down, I guess, and makes you pay attention to what's coming out of your mouth. Precisely. Did I say that right? Neurons? Did I was I even in the ballpark? Oh sure. Know. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, our mind is made up of millions of those things, and wow. um, you know it also affects our body chemistry. If we're if we're in a state of anxiety or fear, we have uh, one set of uh, chemicals in our blood, and when we're in a state of uh, play or a state of what's called a positive or growth mindset, our Literally, our blood chemistry changes, and uh, it physically makes us feel better. So we can feel when we're in the positive and productive place. You can. If, again, I mean, we pay attention. 
Right. When I'm in flow, this happened to me about a week ago. I was in serious flow for about two days running, and I didn't sleep much, which not a big deal. I don't anyway. But that third day, I laid down on the couch, and I just got underneath that ceiling fan, and I didn't budge for a while. I was done. I couldn't you know, I was just exhausted, but I kept going, I want to do that again. I want to do that again. I want to do that again. And and I did. You know, I continued to do that. But that was a solid two days. It was just amazing. I'm still very proud of it. But, Marcy, we're talking, we just mentioned failure. And I've heard you say that fear of failure is a self-fulfilling prophecy unless you can learn to use it as a tool for accomplishment. Let's talk about that. How do you learn to use that as a tool? Well, in in my life experience, there's been situations where um, I have to take the failure and turn it into a positive because otherwise, um, you know, how do you, how do you get through all of that? How do you find a way to rationalize with yourself um, and with others? Uh, what you need to do and how you can go forward. So I I I actually feel like um, failure, if if it really was failure, uh, has been one of the uh, discerning um, challenges in my life to find a way because I always have to find the positive. I can't live in the negative. It's just not my nature. And and I would say that it's, failure has served me well because it's given me the opportunity to reinvent what I do, reinvent who I am, and and always be in what my good friend Bill Woodage, who's written all these books, he's now a big guru on this, is that I'm always forward. I, I will not allow myself to go backwards. I've got to be forward in my thinking in my actions, uh, even if it's for just the littlest thing. And, and I think that's how you grow. Um, I think just challenging the status quo and saying, no, uh, we can do this. We can make it work. I can survive this pandemic. I can reinvent myself in other places while they're locking it down, you know, uh, routine surgery and surgery centers or whatever impact it has. And, and, and that's when you find out a lot about yourself. Uh, and you also find out in your life that it creates a constant flow, as we're talking about, of new people like we're here with Tom today. Exactly. And the thing is, listen, Marcy, you and I are very much alike. We figured out early on that we're soul sisters, but I don't like to be told what to do. I argue with my NAV system. She says, turn left, and I tell her she's not the boss of me, and I go get lost. So I always leave 15 minutes early so I can get turned back around. But the thing is, if you are paying attention and you're really listening to, I guess it's instinct. I don't know if they're God winks. You can call them whatever you want to. But when you hit that road, you hit that fork in the road, or you hit that big rock in the road, my attitude is I go around it, I go under it, or I blow it up. It's not going to stop me. Right. That's great. Right. And an interesting fact that our unconscious mind works 500,000 times faster than our conscious mind. 
So sometimes our so-called gut feel is really our unconscious mind telling us data that we haven't yet perceived. Oh, and I always find it's it's empowering for leaders to know that they need, as I said, data, but they also need enough uh, openness to listen to their gut and uh, balance that, of course, test and verify, as I said. But uh, it's really useful when we think about looking for work that gives us meaning and purpose and the people that we want to work with we're able to use all of our senses to help make those relationships strong. And you both talk a lot about empathy, which I think is critical. You know, our EQ to me is often more important than our IQ. I've known and I'm related to some incredibly high IQ people who couldn't find their way out of a paper sack. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, your EQ, your empathy... Again, shut up and listen. You know, I say that a lot. Stop talking. Yeah. Yes, okay. I, I agree. But, you know, I will tell you that um, what this, uh, what the last three years have been about is challenging the status quo and reinventing yourself in probably one of the strangest times that we've all known on this phone. Uh, how do you get through it? How do you make turn it into a positive? And um, after it's, you're, everything is, you're in upheaval. Nothing is as it was, you know? Um, yep. And, and I, I think that that's where your work comes in. That's the moment when you recognize, oh, well, maybe this work isn't characterized by this as it has been. Here's another nuance. And can I go with the nuance? And, you know, that's been, you know, the story of my own experience and always reinventing yourself. Even, you know, the age doesn't matter. It's what keeps you moving and vibrant and involved. Exactly. And... um... You're a perfect example, Marcy, of a self-actualizing person. You know, you overcome obstacles by uh, grit and intelligence and emotional intelligence. And um, from knowing you, I am just so uh, enamored of how you have uh, demonstrated what we're talking about on this uh, call today. Thank you, Tom. Um I, I really appreciate that, but I have to be honest, some of it wasn't planned. It was just my intuitive response to, you know, devastating experiences that I could either have, you know, walked away from or tried to find something positive in it. And, and that's where I think work is so critical um, because your work really – defines you even it doesn't matter what your work is it's what you feel like when you do it and uh, and so uh, even the smallest of tasks suddenly has meaning and and for me it's always wrapped around change and helping people whether they be the children with facial deformities that i spent over 20 years of my life with or concussion patients i 
I can't survive unless I'm helping in, in a profession that allows me to help others. So that's where I naturally go. I mean, someone asked me just yesterday, how did you learn all of this? I don't think you learn it. I think you feel it. And live it. Right. Yeah, and then retrospectively, you look back and say, oh, I didn't know I could do that, or I didn't know what I needed to learn in order to do that. And that's a way that you, again, use your self-talk to expand your own resilience and your own capacities, um, which is really the, the sort of a, a key thing for leaders of any kind, people of wow. any kind, but particularly for leaders because they're looked up to just naturally to you know set a vision, a direction, and to guide uh, people so that they're um, doing their best work. And living values, you know, we haven't talked about the ethics of this, but um, there's something I think very fundamental, and I encourage all of my uh, client companies to have values, not just on a piece of paper somewhere, but to live them and to right. actually talk about values, uh, you know, in all-hands meetings or in team meetings, uh, where you um, remind people of the, for instance, VCA, the chain of veterinary hospitals, they have morning huddles when they do a shift change. And that allows everyone to kind of plan the day, plan the shift, see what issues that are important, but also to reinforce the teamness of uh, how VCA is uh, successful and what makes a successful team. So they feel a sense of common bond and they feel a sense of active uh, support, which is so helpful for people to do their best work. Which is very different yeah. from water cooler talk. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, water cooler talk is fine because people, you know, what, there's what I call recreational gossip or recreational complaining. But if you're really serious about something, as a leader of mine uh, that I work with, uh, who runs this amazing company, says, if you have a complaint, take it to someone who can do something about it right. and make sure they take action. Oh, because wow. that really... I like that. Thanks. Yeah. I'll pass that on to him. <laughs> Tell him I approve. Okay. <laughs> he won't care. Um, Marcy, how is everything doing in your in your business now? I mean, is it coming back up? Are you able to help more people? Uh, absolutely. And, you know, with the unique, well, uh, and Denise, you know me. So um, the thing is, is that I had to recreate myself in something that I was helping people that had some semblance to what I did before. But things are coming back together. Uh, and uh, I, we, we're making progress. The concussion drug has reported their first findings from the phase 1A and B they're doing in Australia and it was very very positive um, and uh, you know all of the avenues that closed because of the pandemic um, uh, were you know I'm reinventing new avenues with, with new companies so everything's going to be I believe even stronger than it was before well, that's good news I'm glad to hear that well yeah, I've got too. you both 
This is a, a phrase that I hear a lot, and I've always just shrugged it off because it doesn't make sense to me. And people will talk a lot about, oh, you know, work-life balance. You can't separate them. They're the same well, darn thing. That's why I always laugh sometimes when when I hear that phrase because uh, I look at myself and I go, I don't know the word, what it means to be balanced, I think. I'm not really sure that that's in my DNA. I know how to work, and I know that work is the, probably the most healing thing I've ever I've, I've used to get myself through catastrophes and celebrations. So um, uh, I don't know that I can ever balance it, but I do know that it works. Well, I do both simultaneously all day long. <clears throat> my work is my life. My life is my work. Yeah. Right. And you know, hopefully we're the same person wherever we are. We're authentic, authentically exactly. ourselves. And uh, what I look at as work-life balance is, is what you were talking about, Denise, in terms of having this period of real productive flow where you got a lot of stuff done, and then after two or three days you took a nap. You know, that's balance. That's eating well, exercising. It's doing the things we know to do to keep our mind and body uh, able to really work at peak performance. I'm so glad you told me that because the third day I felt guilty as I'll get out until (laughs) I had had that talk with myself and say, you're not getting off this couch. This is where you landed. This is where you're going to stay. And I turned the ceiling fan because I live in the south. We have two seasons, hot and hotter in hell. And I turned the ceiling fan on to just high enough to take the paint off the the walls. And I had my two Kindles, and I read, and I read, and I read, and I didn't worry about business. I did. But I would just I would literally send myself an email, do this, do this, do this, tomorrow, not today. So it worked out. So I'm glad it was balanced, and I wasn't being a big baby. No, not at all. It was healing to me. But that's yeah. what I kept telling myself, and it did help. So, you know, I got back to my focus, and I felt better. So, Tom, Marcy, before I let you go, do you have anything else you'd like to share with the audience? Well, I think it's really important for people to identify what work they do love and why, and then help others to discover what they love. And exactly. I think doing that is a real service, and it will help them, and it will help our economy, and it will help their families. And uh, it'll be a good thing all around. I totally agree. agree, Tom. Okay, Tom, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me at uh, corporateinnovation.com. And uh, they'll be connected to my LinkedIn and various other social media uh, apps. Uh, so, Cons- uh, it's uh, corporate innovation. It can be a hyphen or just one big word. dot com, and then we'll find me. Thanks for asking. Oh, my pleasure, Marcy. Where can people find you? Um, my place www.findmark.com dot uh, com, and uh, um, that's where I am. Excellent. Listen, thank you both so much for being here with me. It's been wonderful speaking with you, and I thank you for all of the 
really terrific advice that you've shared with our audience. And before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes and anywhere else you consume your business podcast. <clears throat> Losing my voice. You can't throw a stick on the Internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio. So look for us, find us, and take us along on your success journey. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. It's been great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.